Well, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts and philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's another uh, guest episode. I have with me Dr. Taylor Sear. And for those who are caught up on the episodes, you'll know that Dr. Sear came on and we talked about uh, free will and determinism and moral responsibility. And it was an awesome episode, so go watch that one. Today, we're going to be talking about time travel. Uh, is it is it conceptually possible? Is it philosophically possible? What what movies kind of get it right? Uh, we're going to go in deep. This is something that I have not studied very well, and so I'm super pumped to get my my mind blown here too. Uh, so without further ado, Taylor, thanks for coming on the podcast again, man. Thanks. It's good to be back with you. You might be my first return guest. I think you might. I think it is. Uh, so this is awesome, man. Congrats. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be getting into. Uh, time travel, but in order to do that, we have to learn like what time is and stuff. So, um, just real quick, like what branch of philosophy deals with time? Definitely metaphysics. So, you know, metaphysics is about the fundamental nature of reality, and one mm-hmm. of those features of reality that metaphysics studies is time. But it, uh, as we'll see, talking about time travel. There are issues in the philosophy of time and the philosophy of time travel that intersect with lots of other areas in metaphysics, having to do with identity, causation, free will, lots of other areas. Yeah, it's fun. I love finding those those different areas that just an, an intersection point for so many different other things. And everyone has to get dragged in in order to try to make sense of it. Uh, so you sent me some notes here, so I don't want to sound like I'm super smart. I, I don't know much about time travel, but going <laughs> off of your notes, you talk about a discrepancy between time and time, like an, like an external right. and, and then a personal time. Can you explain that? Right. So <clears throat> one of the first issues in thinking about time travel and whether it's possible is trying to figure out what time travel is, mm-hmm. because on the one hand, on certain ways of describing what it is for for someone to time travel, it sounds like it's incoherent. Mm -hmm. It's something like um, moving forward or backward uh, at a certain, for a certain amount of time and then arriving at, you know, the distance between your destination and your uh, departure point being unequal to the duration of your trip, something like that. So anyway, even in that description, it's a little (laughs) muddled, like what exactly is going on when someone's time traveling? So the way that philosophers tend to define time travel is by saying, well, there's, there's time and then there's time. (laughs) There's two senses of time going Mm -hmm. on. There's what we think of as real time or time itself. And that's what philosophers tend to call external time. So this is time as it would be measured by some objective world historian. So if you wrote, if you sort of drew a timeline, right, Mm -hmm. looking at all of time ordered according to that timeline, that would be external time or real time. Whereas the time traveler, and usually, you know, in interesting time travel stories, it's a person, it's an agent who's experiencing the the trip. So usually we define it in terms of a person's experience. Um, their feeling of time's passage might come apart from time itself or from external time. So another way of putting that is there's a distinction between external time 
and personal time. And when someone time travels, uh, there's a discrepancy between those two things. So, yeah, uh, you know, Doctor Who might get in TARDIS at, at some later time, and then he might press a button. He might appear hundreds of years earlier, and it only felt to him like a few seconds or a few minutes. But the difference the, the um, difference in time between his departure and his arrival is hundreds of years. So there's a discrepancy between time and time. Yeah. And I, I even think of um, like when someone pauses time, like, like time is paused and this is a whole nother thing, whether that's even conceptually possible at all, but, mm-hmm. but then you still have like your, your uh, personal time going on. Like you're like, Oh, why is everyone paused? Is that a, is that the, is that the same thing we're getting at? External time is paused and personal time's not. I'm not sure what to think about that kind of case, actually, because on the one hand, if you're still as the person that isn't frozen, experiencing time at the normal rate, I think the objective world historian looking at the timeline would say that uh, time is still progressing while the world is frozen. It's just your personal time. Well, I don't think there would be a discrepancy there. I think what would happen is, Uh yeah, time and time wouldn't be coming apart. It's just that somehow this is kind of magical somehow everything but you is frozen which is conceptually possible i suppose but i don't think that i don't know that that would be a case of time travel yeah well okay yeah yeah that's good that one always bugs me because as as i was thinking about this episode with you i realized time travel is in everything it's all over the place it's not just sci-fi it's in like every show ever it's how everyone (laughs) talks about it we're like obsessed with time travel, dude. It's so crazy. Um, but there's this idea of like pausing and stuff or like mm-hmm. the you familiar with like the flash at all? A little bit. Yeah. So he like uses a speed force thing, which is faster than I. I only know this because I have nerdy friends. Uh, I've watched a little bit of the show, but um, he, he has a speed force which is like faster than the speed of light or whatever. So he doesn't actually like stop time. He just is going so fast that it seems so his personal time. I guess is so uh, advanced or so fast that it's as if everyone else is stopped, but, but he's just going faster than external time. I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends on the physics of the case. It might be that he's through his special power, able to experience a sort of time in a more fine grained way, but he Ooh. might not be moving. I mean, yeah, his body's moving faster, of course, mm-hmm. than other bodies do. But he not, might not be moving faster through time. Uh, that said, probably yeah. people will disagree with me about that. I mean, there yeah. are people, like, I don't know. There are cases where Superman goes so fast that he can rewind <laughs> the world a day or something. And it doesn't just explode everyone. We don't all yeah. just go flying. Like, that would be <laughs> so crazy. So right. so there's a couple uh, examples here that you list, uh, like the, the time machine, Back to the Future, Tenet. So there's different, like, conceptual schemes uh that people use in exploring time travel yeah yeah so probably when people think of time travel there are the classic movies like back to the future and terminator going back a little further the time hg wells is the time machine those are some great stories they yeah, yeah they are they're different in various ways uh which maybe we could get into when we talk about paradoxes of time travel yeah but what's really interesting to me is that there are isn't very much, maybe not really any story of uh, time travel until roughly the last 120 years, maybe 130 years. Um, Sometimes people talk about some um, ancient texts 
uh, I think some ancient Chinese and Indian texts that might have hints of time travel in them. I'm not familiar with those. Um, but the, the first cases of time of clear, the first clear cases of time travel, as far as I can tell, are in the late 19th century, early 20th century. So HG Wells, of course, made talking about time travel very popular, especially yeah. in science fiction. Maybe his is the, the first case with a machine. I'm not sure that's even right. Certainly he popularized those, you know, tropes in yeah. science fiction now. That's yeah, so interesting. It, yeah, it's relatively new, I think. I had no idea about that. I guess I never really thought about it. That's so cool that you've that you know that, that you've checked that out. Uh, any idea why? Is it because the industrial revolution? You think some people are like, oh, we're going to make all these machines, and maybe they can make one that goes back in time or something. That's a good thought. I don't know. There's been enough work on this to really tell. This is a dissertation I, right here. Uh, yeah, that would be a good. I would read that dissertation. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think one thing I have seen speculated is that with developments in physics around this time, late um, 19th, early 20th century, we started thinking of the possibility that time is a lot like space. Mm -hmm. Maybe the universe is a four-dimensional block. And so time is just a fourth dimension that's a lot like space. And so once you're starting to think of time as like space and you realize, well, we can move about mostly freely <laughs> through space, yeah. why not think we can move about in time? So I've seen that kind of speculation, but I'm not sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder, I, I think we're probably getting, we're going to talk about Boethius and stuff. We can. I'm okay. Happy to, yeah. Well, I, I just because like the block universe and, and I wonder, yeah, why maybe people thought that it was, it was, um, again, dude, speculation, but maybe they thought it was like inappropriate to think of that because only God is outside of time. And so God can, if, if you hold to this block universe, Boethius, uh, Boethian uh, view of, of reality, of, of time and space, that God's outside and he can see us, you know, yesterday and today and all this stuff. But it'd be inappropriate for us to try to do that. And then as, you know, belief in God and physics came up and it's like, oh, man, why not? You know, let's jump around here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I want to see the, the dissertation. So somebody go yeah, and write right. that. That'd be great. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about what time travel is. We're going to get into it more. But what is what? You say what time travel is not, and I think that's always so important to, to begin with. So what is it not? Right. So there are lots of things that people might associate with time travel, like, uh, you know, daylight savings time or crossing <laughs> time zones. Uh, in psychology, people talk about mental time travel, um, sometimes mm -hmm. taking a nap, <laughs> because if there's if it's a dreamless nap, it'll feel like you jumped forward in time when you yeah. wake up. None of these are cases of time travel, though, although there is some disagreement about very long naps like Rip Van Winkle. But mm -hmm. I think it's pretty clear these aren't cases where someone's personal time comes apart from external time. So when I described personal time a minute ago, I put it in terms of the person's experience. But of course, I didn't have to put it in terms of the person's experience. I could have put it in terms of like the time is measured by the watch they're wearing um, or the sort of causal history of the parts that make up a person's body or something like that. It need not have anything to do with your conscious experience of time. So you could okay. have time traveling particles or you could have, you know, unconscious people in time machines. Yeah. 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 So it, since all of that's possible, we wouldn't want to say that like dreamless sleep counts as time travel or that, um, yeah, very long naps or something like that. Well, uh, yeah. Real quick. I'm just thinking, uh, you're familiar with dude, all of the, all the pop cultures coming up in my head. Uh, you're familiar with butterfly effect, the butterfly effect at all. Yes, Action I think I here. saw one 
butterfly effect movie. That, it's been a while though. That movie with Ashton Kutcher like jacked me up and jacked up my childhood. I should not have watched that. There was just like they kill this dog and it really messed with me as a kid and stuff. Mm. But he he has some some power or whatever. They don't really explain it. And his dad had it too, I think. But he can read journals from his past and he like blacked out in his past. And then uh, you know, he can read journals as an adult and he his sight his consciousness goes back to when he was a kid or whenever he was writing the journal and he like wakes back up. That is that time travel? Like cause you're talking about psycho psychological um aspects like not being part of not but not being necessary to time travel is is he is he time traveling there what do you think what do you make of that i think so yeah like i did see the movie but i'm forgetting the details now but as far as i can remember yes that and from your description it sounds like a case of time travel okay and it's it's just his consciousness going back so like his his adult consciousness will be in his younger body yeah it might be a case where yeah maybe I guess it depends on what you think of consciousness and what's giving rise to the consciousness, but um, it could be a case where it's like information that's going back in time. And yeah. as long as you have, um, yeah, information in the past that came from the future, I think you'd have to be able to time travel to make okay. sense of it. Okay, sweet. So we got that. Uh, we got some, uh, any more on, on what time travel is not? I guess we should talk about the one case that is kind of up in the air. I think, philosophers disagree about whether this is a case of time travel and that's uh, cryogenic freezing. Yeah. So like Austin probably, Powers. Yeah. Austin Powers or uh, Captain America. Captain America. Uh, yeah. uh, Id- Idiocracy. Idiocracy. You ever seen that one? I have seen that one. It's <laughs> the only movie that started off as a comedy and ended up as a documentary. Oh man. Terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so every, every day it becomes more terrifying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in that kind of case, well, in Idiocracy, I'm not sure that, it, are they frozen? Yeah, they're he was frozen in that sleep. thing, in the okay, little frozen. chamber or whatever. Okay. Well, yeah, then in that case, it'll be just like Captain America. Yeah, right. So sometimes people want to say that is time travel. It really looks like a case of time travel, even though the person, it's sort of continuous in that the person doesn't, there's no gap in their you know, existence. They don't skip over times. They're right, there right. That's the whole important. time. Yeah. Um, even still, because their biological processes have really, really slowed down or been frozen, literally. Um, That seems to make it so that there's a discrepancy between some part of their person or the the object and and time itself. Um, I haven't referenced this yet, but the best paper to read on the philosophy of time travel is this classic 1976 paper uh, by David Lewis called The Paradoxes of Time Travel. Mm. So a different Lewis from the one that you usually talk about in your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> not not CI Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, David Lewis. But uh, Lewis considers this case and I'm not sure if he actually comes down on which way to go, but he suggests that um, even though the biological processes of a, of, you know, of a person's body are frozen in this process, mm-hmm. it might be that the lower level processes, the, the physical processes aren't frozen. So if that's the case, then it wouldn't, and you think that um, physical processes are what's what matters to defining time travel. You might think, well, this is actually not a case of time travel. So anyway, that's a kind of, I don't know, middle case, one that people disagree about how to categorize. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that one as much, but that's now I'm going to have to 
I'm not going to sleep tonight, but thanks, man. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that you shouldn't have to lose sleep about is that in those kinds of cases, it's always time travel to the future. Yeah, that's true. And so as far as I know, maybe there's some mixed case. Yeah. Um, but the really puzzling cases of time travel, the one that the, the cases that give rise to a bunch of the paradoxes are time travel to the past or ba backward time travel. And well, I, yeah. I, I got one more for you. Yeah, and, sure. And this comes from physics. Uh, I think it might be called the twin paradox where if you have oh, two, yeah. you're familiar, you got two twins and they're, they're both out in space and you zip one, like approximating the speed of where am I at? Approximating the speed <laughs> of light and coming back. Uh, the one who they're, they're twins, they're identical twins, whatever you want to make the one, the one that zips all the way out and comes back has traveled a ton, but since he's appro uh, approximated the speed of light, he comes back and he's actually younger mm -hmm. and, and, is that time travel? Did he travel in time? It seems to me, yes. Yeah. Okay. And if if that's consistent with the laws of physics, then, well, it looks like time travel is physically possible. Which right. Is kind of yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's so crazy to think about. Yeah. Okay. So, so interesting. If that is even possible. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you you probably get all jacked up from going that fast. But if you could do that, then it time travel is a thing. It, it definitely is at least forward in time or yeah. Right. It, it. it makes it complicated because it, once you start, <laughs> once you start thinking about the implications of general relativity, it's, it's hard to make sense of objective time or external time because it seems like time's passage is always relative to a frame of reference or something like that. I'm no physicist, but it yeah. gets tricky to actually talk about whether it is time travel. Well, that's um, like, like yeah. interstellar. Have yeah. you seen and so he goes down to the planet and then he's way older than his daughter and it's he didn't really like travel in time i guess in that case he just like was in a slowed down version of time so right weird. maybe that's similar to your uh the flash case except yeah. flash doesn't age differently but yeah yeah he probably should though <laughs> yeah yeah especially if he's going faster than the speed of light dude he would be super yeah man they didn't explain well, the, that. A lot, the laws of physics in the Flash's universe must be very different from ours. So I, don't, <laughs> I, wouldn't, all right. I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, okay. So we talked a little bit about the, the twin paradox come, is from like physics, from theoretical yeah. physics or, or physics, uh, just whatever. But you're a philosopher and we're, ta we're talking philosophy of time travel. So uh, why do... Why do philosophers talk about it? And, and are they allowed to? Is this something that the philosophers are allowed to talk about? We make our own rules. So <laughs> no physicist will tell us what not to do. There you go. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good question because when we talk about whether time travel is possible, probably what a lot of people think about is physical possibility. And that really is kind of a question for physicists is uh, what, what are the laws of physics and is time travel consistent with them? Um, but philosophers are interested in different senses of possibility. So not just physical possibility, but often logical possibility. Is there any you know, contradiction? Is there some logical contradiction in you know, describing a case of time travel? I think presumably not. There's not really any logical incoherence in talking about time travel. But then there's also this question of whether it's metaphysically possible. Yeah. Which is to say is, yeah, does some truth in metaphysics or some metaphysical law preclude uh, time travel from happening. Um, Can you give us a case real quick of a, of a, something that's logically possible and metaphysically impossible just for the, for listeners? 
Yeah, well, th there are there is disagreement about whether there's a distinction there. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, for everything that I say, there's going to be some philosopher who disagrees. Always. But, uh, yeah, I, I find it hard to you know pry those apart. But the idea is you could describe something that maybe you think is metaphysically impossible. Maybe it has to do with um, causation or the parthood relation or something like that. There's some law in metaphysics, and yet you can describe a, a metaphysically impossible case that doesn't seem to be a straightforward logical contradiction. Yeah. I don't know of a good example, to be honest. Neither do I. That's why I asked you. <laughs> I, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. I know about like like physical impossibilities. Like it's impossible for, for a human uh, man or woman to run a one-minute mile. Just without any any added stuff, I think that well, let's say thirty seconds. You can't run a mile in thirty seconds. It's physically impossible, but it's not logically impossible. Is, yeah, right? I wonder if there it does. Is there some law of physics that's violated there? I mean, yeah, we often use the term that's physically impossible, but that maybe that's not literally true. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're speaking. I'm speaking like colloqu colloquially. On the, <laughs> the, the I mean, the the flat the flash goes faster than the speed of light. I take it yeah. that's physically impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the laws of physics is something like you can't go faster than the speed would, of Would light. you say that's metaphysically impossible or no? No. Yeah, that's a good example for uh, uh, something that's physically impossible but metaphysically possible because we could imagine that the laws of physics are different than they actually are. Like we could imagine a possible scenario, a possible world where the laws of physics are different. And yeah, maybe the, the – yeah. That's why I have a hard time with logical and metaphysical impossibilities because metaphysics is beyond physics, like Aristotle said or whatever, uh, or before physics and however you want to parse that. It's the undergirding or, or of physics. And so for something to be metaphysically impossible, wouldn't that mean that it's it's impossible in every possible world? Or is that yeah, logical? That, that's the debate, I guess. The debate yeah. is whether there could be possible worlds where the laws of metaphysics are different. Okay. So yeah, maybe I guess part whole would be a, a a good spot. Like, yeah, just we'll have someone on talk about myriology, yeah. not myriology. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's not get bogged down too much in that. We can time travel back and erase that. <laughs> maybe one other thing that's worth clarifying is uh, another sense of possibility that um, sometimes comes up in thinking about time travel, and that's technological possibility. Ooh. Just because a philosopher says time travel is possible. They definitely, you should not interpret them as saying that we could go right now and build a time machine like that. We have the technology to do that. Yeah. Maybe we'll never have the technology or that capability uh, to time travel, but it wouldn't follow that it's metaphysically impossible. So, yeah. Yeah. If you want to show that it's metaphysically impossible, you'll have to argue there's some feature of metaphysics that rules out time travel. Yeah. That's really helpful. I, I think that something that really helps me get clear on that distinction is like the ai debate where where philosophers i think a lot of the best philosophers say like no it's impossible to make a machine that is conscious in the same way that i'm conscious i think john searle has, has knocked that down with the chinese argument chinese room argument um but then like you got all the uh computer scientists like we're gonna prove you wrong and it's like well it's different dude it, this is like a conceptual impossibility and if you make an artificial thing that thinks, but it's not the way we think, then you didn't do it. You, so they changed the, the definition of AI. And now they talk about AGI, but, but anyways, uh, so that's the difference between what would you call it again? Mechanical, technological, technological possibility. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we got some different possibilities there. I'm I'm so glad you didn't go with like DeRay and De uh, Dicta kind of stuff. I still don't. We can avoid that. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's philosophers talk about the possibility. Um, we got some metaphysics going on. Uh, so what what do time travel stories presuppose about the nature of time? So we talked about in order to get clear on like the possibility of time travel, we need to understand like this metaphysical thing that time is. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are debates in the philosophy of time that seem to matter to thinking about whether time travel is metaphysically possible. Um, Two classic debates in the philosophy of time are about uh, the ontology of time. So what times or what time exists or are real, have being, that's ontology. And then there's a debate about tense, about the reality of tense. So tense statements are statements that are, well, you can have past tense, present tense, future tense statements. You could have statements about um, the relation, the temporal relation between events. So like something could be earlier than or later than or simultaneous with something else. So often um, these debates about uh, time travel or these debates about time that come up in discussions of time travel are related to you know, what would need to be the case in order for a time travel story to be coherent. And so, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people think that, you know, there being a block universe or that um, these various past, present and future times, in some sense, being equally real, there being the the past still being real in some sense, um, that that's kind of presupposed by time travel stories where a time traveler goes to the distant past or to the future. Yeah. So I think it is, it is worth thinking a little bit, at least about the ontology of time, about what times would need to exist in order to make sense of time travel. So the, um, there's two main views in the debate on the ontology of time, the, the block universe view, which is sometimes called eternalism Mm -hmm. and then presentism, which denies that, all times are equally real and says only the present is real. And then there's this alternative that's, it's definitely less popular than these other two, but it's pretty popular. It's sometimes called the growing block theory, which says there's an asymmetry between past and future. Um, Neither of the other views of the ontology of time posit this asymmetry. The growing block theory says the past is real and the present's real, but the future isn't. Hmm. So there's a sense in which there's a block made up of the past and the present but the present is the cutting edge of the block and with every new moment that's added on to the block the block grows um reality grows what's the impetus for for to me that feels like someone uh wanting to change their view of time in order to help us have uh libertarian free will or something like that what what would make someone i don't like that view but uh, so maybe maybe that's clear um I'm just trying to figure out why someone would, would be enticed by the growing block. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even if you think that the future, well, yeah, I think it's going independent of the question of free will or at least libertarian free will. Okay. It, it is true that many presentists and growing block theorists think that the future is open in a really robust sense. Okay. Um, and in a way, well, at least for the growing block theorists, they have a way of saying the past is fixed and the, the future is open. There's an important asymmetry built into their ontology. Um, 
but yeah, I'm not sure that it really tracks the, uh, the libertarian free will stuff because at least when it comes to the ontology of time, if, if the future is real and there are truths about the future, um, as long as those, what happens in the future somehow depends on what we do now in the present, uh, okay. you, you might still think that there's room for freedom, whether you're a compatibilist or an incompatibilist. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I, man, I want to jump ahead. So, so like, um, I hope it doesn't throw us off key, but, uh, the growing block, they believe, would they believe that you could travel back in time, but you couldn't travel forward in time? That's an object. I mean, that's one way of raising a puzzle for time travel or for growing block theory, depending on your starting point. Yeah, there is like, so the reason that ontology of time gets brought up in discussions of time travel is if, the past and the future are real as the eternalist says, well, then there's like an obvious destination that really exists for the time traveler. Whereas on the presentist view, it looks like if the past isn't real, um, you know, stuff happened, maybe stuff will happen, but the, the past and the future, they're not real. Then it looks like, well, where's the time traveler going to go? It seems like there's no destination available for the time traveler. Yeah. And so if you think that is a good worry for the presentist or for the combination of present presentism and the possibility of time travel well yeah you might say on the growing block view you could travel to the past but there's no way to travel to the future okay um we're gonna get into some some paradoxes of time travel and stuff but um so we got eternalism that past present and future uh are all equally real that doesn't necessarily commit you to like an eternalist uh view of uh, reality that like you can still believe in like big bang cosmology and be an eternalist. It just means that it's all happening at once. Is that right? Yeah. This is eternity and eternalism is one of those unfortunate words in philosophy that depending on the context can mean a host of different things. Yeah. I mean, even the, the Boethian view that you mentioned earlier that God's outside of time and is somehow related to all of the times, like you might think of that as involving a block universe, but honestly, I don't think that commitment's required. I think you could say, um, you could have the presentist ontology of time yes. and say God's outside of time. That's why I, that's what I wanted to hold. People always push me on that. I, I, as you know, man, like I got, I'm, I'm a theology student, but I really like philosophy. So I get it from both ends. And a lot of people are like, dude, come on. Boethius said this, we got to go with him. He's, you know, he's, he, there's some Augustine in there, in there too. And, but yeah, like it, it doesn't necessarily commit you, even if you wanted to, even if you're somehow forced to be a Boethian, just, I have to be on, on track with him. You're saying it, it doesn't necessarily commit you to a block universe. Uh, yeah. As, I mean, I'm sure that someone has argued that it does. They do. yeah, I don't they do. see the, I don't, I don't see obviously why that would be like on the face of it. Why that can would you, be can explain, can you explain to us how a presentist uh, that presentism only current, uh, only currently existing objects are real, how a presentist could also be, uh, a Boethian. Right. I mean, the Boethian, as far as I'm, well, maybe you're using the term differently. As, as far as I can tell, like, that's just a, a model of God's relationship to time. God's not in time. He's outside of time. Yeah. So usually that commitment comes with this view that um, God is somehow related to all times. So he can be, you know, present to people at all times and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're a Boethian, you think God's outside of time, you're going to have to say something that might sound strange about the connection between God and all the time. So he's in some sense in his 
timeless present simultaneous with every time. Mm-hmm. But of course, that it doesn't follow that all times are simultaneous with each other. Yeah. And I don't think it follows that all times must be equally real. Yeah. Um, as, yeah. So well, I, yeah, I, I just I, don't see that commitment. Yeah. I see it. And I've always thought of this uh, this way when I when I came across it. It seems to me like. I, it seems like my view, maybe that it's like a YouTube video and you see the little circle at the bottom and you see like the the red that's already played is like lighter and then there's like the dark red, but you're only in the present. And so I am like God. Uh, That's not the craziest. I'm still an image bearer of God, so don't get too upset. But in this scenario, I'm like God. Uh, The YouTube video that people are watching right now, uh, that is like time and the present is the only thing playing. They're not all playing at me at once, but I'm outside of that time because I I can speed it up. I can play it on 1.5 speed. You know, and and that time can go faster than my time that I'm experiencing. And so, like, I'm not in the same time that the YouTube time is in, but only the present is playing right now. What do you you think about that? Yeah, if you're thinking about it that way, I think it is natural to think of all those times as being there kind of equally real. It does kind Mm. of suggest the eternalist picture. And maybe it's easier for the eternalist to make sense of God's relationship with time if God's outside of time. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that's it's entailed by Boethianism. Okay. Okay. Well, so that that brings me to um, just a, uh, but the you, I don't know if I'm doxing you here. I think you're you hold to more of a block universe. Is that right? Yes, I do. I do favor Eternalist. the Eternalist picture. Yeah. And and you're a philosopher, so this is great because a lot of my friends who are philosophers are like, dude, come on, man. That would mean that we are like never wholly present. That like our whole existence is. Like we're like this worm thing in time. Oh yeah. yeah have, you, have you encountered that that objection? Right. Yeah. So often with the uh, with the eternalist ontology of time comes this commitment to the um, an account of how objects persist through time and objects like us. I take it. And so <laughs> we're getting more into some heavy duty metaphysics than I thought we would. <laughs> Sorry. There, there's a there's two views on persistence in uh, metaphysics. One is called endurantism and one is called perdurantism. Yep. Um, and so the end, I mean, this is oversimplifying perhaps a bit, but endurantists say that objects persist by being wholly present at every moment of their existence. Whereas perdurantists say objects persist by having parts, temporal parts at all the times at which they exist. So um, I'm looking at you right now, but Actually, I'm only really looking at one part of you. So I'm seeing you in virtue of seeing a part of you, namely this temporal slice or stage. Yeah, That's the perdurantist view. Um, I don't know what to make of that. I, so I don't know that uh, you, you can't be an endurantist and an eternalist. Uh, tip, it is typical for uh, eternalists to be perdurantists. Right. Um, and it's easy to solve problems of change by accepting that account of persistence uh, if you're an eternalist. So... Uh, but I don't see any problem with accepting perdurantism either. Uh, so, you know, your friends that object to you, maybe they are sort of presupposing that perdurantism is, uh, is uh, too out there for them to. I'm just going to give them your email, dude. I'm going to send them your. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I will forward that to someone who's <laughs> written on endurantism. <laughs> and I'll have them uh, read some David Lewis. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, so 
just initially, man, maybe some of the, the listeners right now, we got eternalism, block universe, presentism, only this moment exists, and then growing block, uh, at least at least three possible uh, ways to, to conceptualize. It seems to me, and probably a lot of our listeners, that time travel presupposes eternalism. Um, wh- what do you make of that? Is that, is that true? Uh, can you time travel on, on presentism? Yeah, that's a great question. And there are some really cool philosophy papers addressing this. Uh, I'm convinced that time travel is consistent with any of the ontologies of time. And so it's a little harder to make sense of time travel on the presentist view, perhaps, because Mm -hmm. time is not as analogous to space as it is on the block view, right? On the block view, if time is a lot like space, well, then you can make sense of going backward and forward in time, just like you can make sense of going left or right or up or down in space. Um, But on the the presentist view, um, while all locations, all spaces are equally real. Saturn is just as real as Earth, where I am now. Uh, it, it, not all times, past, present, and future, are equally real. Only the present's real. So there is there's a disanalogy between uh, space and time on the presentist view. And so it can be hard to make sense of what's going on in a case of time travel. But here's the thing. Any presentist is going to have to make sense of the passage of time from this moment to the next. Right. It's going to have causal connections between time. So like causes to typically precede their effects. So we have to have these cross temporal causal yeah. relations. And once you're, if, you know, if you're a presentist and you think that's possible, which I hope you do if you're a presentist, because we should say that time passes and that causes precede their effects. Typically yeah. that sort of thing. Well, then there's no special problem in a time travel case because the effect is just at a different time than the cause. Uh, it's just that the effect might be farther in the future than normal or, you know, in the past. It might be a case of backward causation. But we're it's still just another case of kind of a cross-temporal relation that the presentist already needs an account of to make sense of time's passage. So I think, and the same is going to be true of, you know, the the growing block theory. Yeah. Talking about forward time travel. But the, the, uh, the presentist at least on this definition, definition, only currently existing objects are real. There's like no, in my head, it seems like there's nowhere for them to go. There's no real, there's no reality to go back to. Mm-hmm. Is there, or what do, you, what do you think? Yeah, so it's going to be true that uh, when the time traveler presses the button in their time machine to go back to the past, it's going to be true that uh, the, their destination doesn't exist at the time that they're pressing the button. But that's okay because, you know, even if you're just getting in your car and, and driving home, right, it's oh, going to be true dude. that your, your destination, or at least at that later time, doesn't exist. Holy at the time cow. Too. That's amazing. I've never thought of that. I'm if glad that that was a light bulb moment for you because I was worried as I started that sentence that it was going to be incoherent. That was amazing. <laughs> dude, if you're a presentist, you are traveling through time your home does not exist right now in your view and so you got in this car well you're home at the later time like your home yeah, exists right 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 yeah, sorry but, yeah yeah the, at the later time. by the time you get there like right. let's say you have a 10 minute drive you're it doesn't exist 10 minutes from now but you're getting in this machine and you're driving in it and, and through traveling through space it's taking you into the future into the location that did not exist that tense let's call it a tense location right so like T yeah, 10 sure. minutes from now or whatever, like it took you to that. And so I don't know, it's really uh, like pedantic or something uh, example, but your car is then a time machine. It's weird. 
Yeah, it's like a time machine in that like way. Like a time yeah. machine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say that everyone that's moving through time in the sense of going at the ordinary rate uh, is a time traveler, because there we don't have the discrepancy between time and time, like we were saying earlier. But yeah, yeah there is that similarity. And so, yeah, as long as the presentist has some answer to this puzzle of how there could be cross-temporal relations when only one time exists at a time, well, then there's no special problem with time travel. Well, uh, yeah. would, would you, if you, so I get in a time machine, I'm going back, doesn't, doesn't exist when I started, but it, it takes me there. Did that split time? Is, is there still time going forward now? Or did I like somehow hijack time and take it with me into the past to make things real back there? I mean, you could tell you could tell the story either way, but okay. I take it that you wouldn't necessarily have to say you're hijacking time. Or... Yeah, because that one seemed kind of implausible. Like it, just me alone, I did it through this time machine. But if the time machine's possible, who knows? Maybe that's it's the kind of thing that does that. Yeah, I guess that leads to the issue of how we should model time travel. Yeah, yeah. I've kind of been presupposing this whole time that time is linear, and so if someone has traveled, let's say, back to the past then it must have been the case that they were already in the past, so to speak, that, that you know, that, uh, it's not like there were multiple timelines, one where they were in that past moment and one where they weren't. Um, so that's one way of modeling time travel. I think the, the best, the, the most creative time travel stories are stories that presuppose that time is linear and that obey the laws of that, presupposition so like you can't have you know someone doing something and not doing something at the same place and time right um in a consistent time travel story so yeah um, wait 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 wait. you can't have someone doing so i i catch that because it's like the law of contradiction but or non-contradiction now that we we call it that but um uh there's a show umbrella academy and oh this might be a spoiler anyways there's this dude who oh, goes back and this show you better you better not spoil all it right i won't spoil it i won't spoil it uh it's you a recommended I, the show. I did i did uh i forget that people don't binge uh, uh at 12 at night like i do i have two uh, young okay. kids so i can't binge <laughs> yeah okay well forget about all that if i go if i travel back in time uh to the beginning 40 minutes ago to the beginning of this episode can I be in the other room not recording this podcast while I'm recording the podcast here? I can do that, right? Right. Yes, okay. good. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that could happen. That would be a case where, you know, assuming this single timeline, uh, you exist in two places at the same time. And in fact, in some sense, you're wholly present or you're just as present in the other room as you are in, in this room. Yeah. And so that's a case of what sometimes metaphysicians call multi-location because you exist twice over uh, at the same time, two different places at the same time. Yeah. If I touch myself, would I, would anything bad happen? Uh, No. Uh, I mean, sometimes in science fiction, you get characters spouting off rules about time travel. Yeah, man, what the heck? It's coming up out of nowhere. Yeah. Sometimes it makes sense because it makes it easier for the author Ah. to tell their story. Okay. Um, But there's no contradiction in supposing that you could have a brawl with yourself. In fact, one of my favorite time travel stories uh, by Robert Heinlein called By His Bootstraps. It's actually mm. referenced in a footnote in David Lewis's paper, Paradoxes Dang. of Time Travel. Uh, there's this guy who ends up uh, in the same room three times over because of two time travel journeys. And he's, you know, having a, he's fighting himself, like boxing himself, basically. Wow. And 
Yeah, that, there's no contradiction. Yeah. That's probably Brian Lefthouse's uh, favorite movie too, because he talks about that with the Trinity. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Uh, hopefully, there's no brawling in that case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always a dance with the Trinity. That's so, right. yeah. Okay, so, um, so that's said, just one model of time. Yeah, you think that's probably the best story, but you got branching timelines too, right? Yeah. So sometimes people talk about you know branching timelines, usually branching universes. So. Um, because of the time traveler's journey or something like this, another universe splits off from our universe and then things are different in that other timeline or that other universe. Um, That's another model of what goes on. And in that case, you don't have to worry about consistency because things can be different in this other universe than they are in the original one. And you're not, you're not actually saving. I don't know if this was from an article that that you wrote that I read, but someone was saying, you split over into another universe. You did not save the other one. You just bailed on yeah. it. They're all screwed still. That's the problem with trying to like go back and stop Hitler is if you do, if you succeed in stopping Hitler, you've done that in a different timeline. So you haven't stopped Hitler in the timeline you left. Well, we've got to talk about Umbrella Academy if you end up watching it all. Because right. there, there's some of that going on. Not with Hitler, but uh, which... Oh, dude, I can't wait for you to watch that. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, so branching... Going to um, uh, Endgame, um, oh, yeah. w- Avengers Endgame, they went, there was a timeline thing with the bald lady, I forgot her name, and she's like, look, he would split this timeline, and then my timeline is jacked up. But they also like went back in time through the quantum realm. Yes. Uh, did they save, spoilers, dude, it's been out forever, but did they <laughs> did they save their actual timeline and that other timeline? Or did they, did they ever explain that? Uh, you can read interviews with the writers of Endgame where they take it that there's it's just one timeline, oh. so there's not really branching. Oh, 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 oh. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they would say they've told you a consistent story where they've saved the people they were trying to save um, because they put the the gems back in the right spot, the stones, the infinite stones. Right. It's Thanks. it's they yeah. didn't they didn't split after all. That's the idea. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But uh, the story is not consistent. Sorry for those that really love <laughs> Endgame. Um, uh, I think it's Nebula who kills her younger self. So she just straightforwardly, you know, um, kills her younger self. Uh, and that's not going to be possible <laughs> on a, a consistent single timeline story. Yeah. because ne- Okay. So it did branch because the, 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 the view of time that they presuppose and that Hulk just dis- dismisses everyone else. He says, no, it's still my future. So Nebula, Nebula's future self can kill her old self. And that would be consistent if they had split off in timelines. Yeah. That's what you have to say. But the, uh, the, what's annoying is the, the writers didn't see themselves as making that switch. They thought they were telling a consistent single timeline story. Well, and dude, this is what's weird. We talked about this a little bit before, but when you say she can't do it, it doesn't seem right to me. Like, what would stop her from doing that, though? Like, without yeah. an intervener, without like God being like, no, it would jack up my whole story of reality. Like, what? There's no like, doesn't seem like there's a metaphysical principle that would like block the bullet or something. That's puzzling. Yes. Uh, but this is, this is the grandfather paradox which is the probably most famous uh time travel paradox yeah 
let's let's hold because we did talk about this before, but let's go to um, let's just talk hyper time real quick. We, this is okay. the third the third model. So we got single timeline, branching timeline, and then what's hyper timeline? Before I say that, um, I'm actually I've actually been convinced recently that the branching universe model of time travel isn't actually a model of time travel. It's just parallel universe travel. Un universe travel, yeah. yeah. Because even if there's some sort of common trunk that these branches stem from, when you go back in time and appear in another universe, you haven't gone back in time in your universe. So, yeah, I, um, yeah. Uh, maybe this is a point where I can plug a book, not yeah. my own. I'm not benefiting from plugging this at all. But one of my favorite uh, philosophy books is a book by Ryan Wasserman uh, called Paradoxes of Time Travel. Mm. And uh you know, Ryan Wasserman has also written about Endgame in, uh, I think, Washington Post. So if people Google his name and Endgame, they'll they'll come across. He, he talks about Nebula. He talks about another worry, uh, oh. I think, involving Thanos. Um, anyway, but Ryan Wasserman's book, Paradoxes of Time Travel, was, I think, the first. There's another one now, but I think it was the first book-length treatment of the philosophy of time travel or okay. like the metaphysics of time travel. And it's, it's only a couple years old. Wow. Dang, that's yeah. awesome. Is there, has that become a field? So like uh, every now and then someone comes out with like a, uh, a really uh, influential essay and then everyone just takes that and it becomes a whole category of things like, uh, are we living in a computer simulation? Like that's a whole thing that everyone writes their article with that chapter is the, the paradoxes of time travel. Is that a, a category now? Cause of, cause of David Lewis's essay. Cause I've seen yeah. a lot of, you know, YouTube things, the paradoxes of time travel. Yeah, you're right. I think for a lot of papers in the 1960s and 1970s, they have this kind of classic status now. I'm thinking of like Nelson Pike has this famous paper on divine foreknowledge and human free will. Harry Frankfurt has a paper we talked yeah. about in our earlier episode. about Thomas Nagel, I think at the end of the, the later 70s, maybe, uh, what's it like to be a bat? Yep. And even before that, in 1970, he had a famous paper on death that kind of revitalized debates uh. about the badness of death. Yeah, so there's a lot of these sort of, maybe it's just because of where we are in time and the, yeah, these papers yeah. being like 50 years old or so. Um, but anyway, yeah, Lewis's paper sparked, I mean, now more metaphysicians are taking the philosophy of time travel, uh, they're taking it more seriously than they did before. There were things before Lewis by philosophers on time yeah. travel, but he he sort of raised all the paradoxes, brought them all together in one paper and, you know added some new things. So yeah, yeah. It, it turned out to kind of, it's not quite a cottage industry of work on time travel now, but there's a lot more than there was. Well, it's funny that the sci-fi guys usually set the tone or years before, and then philosophers come through and it's like, just find out what the, what the sci-fi guys are writing on right now and just jump in early. And then you can have, you can just corner the industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. an interesting idea. Um, yeah. So anyway, the reason I mentioned uh, Ryan Wasserman's book is it, he has a discussion of these different models of time travel and has a really convincing argument that the uh, branching universe model or branching timeline model isn't really time travel. So he convinced me of that. Okay. Um, the third model, and I, I guess it's really only the second one, if you buy that argument, is uh, what's called the hypertime model. And hypertime, the idea is... Uh, in contrast to the single timeline model, right? We give up this idea that time is linear and think of time as multi-dimensional, at least two-dimensional. So in, instead of thinking of time as a line, think of it as a plane mm -hmm. where 
you know, you've got um, an X coordinate and a Y coordinate. And so for every, you know, suppose that the first axis is the X axis is time. We need some name for the other axis on the plane. And so we'll call that hypertime. And so for any location in the plane, we'll need to specify both coordinates, the time and the hypertime. And what this does, this model of time itself, this model allows us to say that you could have the same time existing multiple times over, at least two times over. Um, so you could tell a story where someone goes back in time, genuinely to the past, a past time, but they end up higher up in the plane, so to speak, and, you know, on a, a different, at a different hyper time. Mm-hmm. And so things could happen differently at the very same time than they did in some earlier hyper time. And that's not branching. There's, it's still the same time. Yeah, that's the idea. So you have to give a story about how it is that um, it's the same time because there is this difference, right? You're indexing um, the moment to a time and a hyper time. Uh, but yes, I think really what this is, is a better way of telling what the, the branching universe story. Yeah. There yeah, is still yeah. that worry about whether you're really going back to the, the past, right? right? Because you're not going back to the past in your hyper time. You're going back to the past in a different hyper time, but yeah. Philosophers well, disagree about whether that's really time travel to the yeah, past. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and like you said, if you're traveling to a different time, it's a different world, but this is wanting to say it's not a different world. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. That's and, you know, because basically what this does is it says you've got time as we have been thinking about it, plus additional timelines because of hypertime. All of the questions about the ontology of time and you know, what the reality of tense and all these things, we then have to extend these questions across hypertime. And so now there's this question, well, um, does ev- is every hypertime real? That would be like hyper eternalism or is only the the current hypertime real? That would be like hyper presentism and so on. Oh, so you yeah. have all of these debates reiterated about hypertimes. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. The hyper, I still don't, I don't still don't understand how it's different than like possible worlds, like, like our multiverse. Like it's a, I just don't understand the times being like stacked on each other and not being different times. Yeah. I mean, they are different in at least this sense that they are, uh, uh, they're different hyper times. Okay. Um, yeah. But just like you can have the same location in space across time, the hyper time would say you could have the same time across time, but hyper hyper times. Okay. That's helpful. That's helpful. I still don't totally get it, but it it is making more sense to me. It's a lot easier if you just look at pictures. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, Ryan Wasserman's book is uh, full of great pictures and diagrams and lots of pop culture references. So I recommend that people check it out if they're interested in in time travel. I do have a, a short free online piece in the... Uh, the, on the website, 1000 word philosophy on time travel that uses some of the same charts from Wasserman's book. And so you can look at how people are thinking about modeling uh, hyper time. Okay. That's, that's good. So the, the, you bringing up hyper time made me think of um, metaphysical time. Have we, have we talked about that yet? Is that a, a word that you are familiar with? I've heard like people talk about it that the, you, no, no, I don't think I've That's ever heard good. that. I, I'm so glad that you don't know that because then I get to just shove that in my brother's face and be like, "Dude, <laughs> no one knows what that is." Uh, I think maybe William Lane Craig talks about it. 
in his in his particular view of God, like entering into time. Um, but that's fine, dude. That's enough fuel for me to roast my brother with. Uh, so let's go to we're we're just popping up on paradoxes. You got some time to to go into some paradoxes. Yeah, I'll try to be faster going through the paradoxes than talking about. Oh what wait, time actually, comes. sorry, dude. I'm sorry to do this, but uh, Kant. Just real quick. Um, that, I've never heard anyone say that and been sincere. I'm going to bring up Kant, and this is going to be really quick. <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's so true. He he talks about time being a uh, can not. It's not. It's not one of the categories, but it's uh, time and space are shoot i'm i'm blanking on what they are they're things that, are, that we project out onto right. reality they're part of the phenomenal realm and not the noumenal realm is he just wrong there uh sure okay <laughs> that is you know i yeah i don't have a view i mean i guess i do have a view that he is wrong but i don't know Kant well enough to take you know to give a fair hearing to his reasons for thinking well, just like you said there's a philosopher who disagrees with it dude in Kant studies you go even deeper and there's someone yeah. who's Kant did believe no Kant did and it's parabolic all right dude just let's all relax okay i just had to had to bring that up because it was yeah. it was in my head um there's probably a whole dissertation on that and uh you know physics like general and special relativity and it's, and it's got some obscure language that no, no one can understand anyways so yeah, two sets of obscure language because you have Kant and physics. So right, yeah, it's hyper obscure. <laughs> yeah, it's of, yeah, that's right, hyper obscure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so paradox one, you got backwards causation, and oh man, we got to talk God and time real quick, or not real okay. quick, but at some point before I let you go, I want to talk about God and his like own sense of trinitarian time, maybe. Um, but but first, let's go with backwards causation. I've heard you talk about this, I think, on uh, Capturing Christianity, and you're, like, open to it. You, like, think that it backwards causation can happen. Yeah. Crazy, it's man. It's not impossible. That. Yeah, yeah. That's a good good, good way of putting the <laughs> objection. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, that is basically the objection from backward causation. Like, really? Are you serious? Right, right. <laughs> Causes come before their effects. Causes mm-hmm. precede their effects. Um you know, like, yeah, usually causes precede their effects. But uh, unless you think from the outset that backward time travel is impossible, uh, the sort of bringing up <laughs> that causes typically precede, precede their effects is sort of going to beg the question against the person who takes time travel to be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the idea is like, look, yeah, uh, maybe it's it's natural to think that causes can't come after their effects there can't be backward causation but why should we think that uh <laughs> what it doesn't violate the laws of logic apparently doesn't violate the laws of metaphysics i mean you have to give me some reason for thinking that it's metaphysically impossible that causes could come um after their effects and so I, I bring up this I, I the reason i sent you this paradox in the notes is really you know, people, when they are thinking there's something troubling or metaphysically dubious about backward causation, they have some other paradox in mind. And maybe the next couple of paradoxes uh, are ways of sort of fleshing out the worry about backward causation. But without kind of presupposing that there can't be backward time travel, there's no reason to think backward causation is impossible, I think. Okay. Okay. So that there's two different things going on in my head. Like there's the, like, you can't prove that it is uh, not possible, 
But then the other aspects like, well, what positive evidence do we have for thinking that it's, it's possible? And it's like, yeah, but we're talking, we're, we're philosophizing about uh, possibilities here. So it's not appropriate to be like, you have no positive evidence because we're talking about whether this is possible or not, not whether we should believe it or that we have yeah. evidence. Is that, is that right? Is that the Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I think with when you're debating whether something's possible, Right. It's a good rule of thumb to start on the assumption that something's possible until there's a good reason to think it's mm -hmm. impossible. Like the burden is on the person who wants to endorse the impossibility claim. Okay. So like, yeah, it, yeah. Innocent until proven guilty is how I think of possibility of time travel. Okay. So uh, we talked about, we did a, a whole little like sub uh, video on time travel and the grandfather paradox in Tenet. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking in Tenet, there's this one aspect, there's one point, not going to blow it for anybody, but these bullets have uh, inverted uh, entropy. entropy. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he like puts his hand over it and catches it. And it's, it's actually the, the reverse of him dropping it, but the bullet mm -hmm. had like entropy. And so he had the reason it popped up into his hand is because he had already dropped it or whatever like in the is that backwards causation because that's how i think of backwards causation like as as confusing as that is yeah that case is really weird when he's going forward in time and the bullet's going backward in time yeah. somehow um but later in the movie like he goes through a machine and so he's experiencing time in sort of reverse it's like he's being rewound and yeah. definitely there it's backwards causation because like yeah his intentions are causing his bodily movements which are causing his overt actions but in reverse sequence okay okay and i guess it would have to be the case with the bullet although the <laughs> the discussion of free will there makes it unclear what's going on so funny dude i mean yeah. i watched that with my buddy and literally the line is but what about free will? Right. <laughs> robotic, like, dude, you guys couldn't do any better. We get it. Yeah. But just make it fun for us. Yeah. yeah. And uh, her, I think the other character's response is like, don't think about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Other than that, they, they handled the grandfather paradox pretty well. I thought the way they explained it, not, they kind of skirted the, they didn't, they didn't force themselves into one of the answers. They just go, it doesn't matter what i think about it it matters what the people in the future think about it and i don't want to see any more with, with uh without spoilers and stuff but yeah i, thought they did I recommend the movie I, I enjoyed it a lot yeah you saw it twice didn't you I did, yes yeah i might have to see it again so uh you said that the reason you put it in here backwards causation it might we might need to go to a different paradox to to kind of flesh out um the objection there so the second one you have here is cha uh, changing the past paradox number two Right. So here the idea is it's impossible to change the past. You can't change the past. The past is over and done with. This is why we think you shouldn't cry over spilt milk, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, maybe one way of fleshing out the backwards causation worry is to say, well, if you if a cause came after its effect, the cause would be changing the past in some sense. Mm -hmm. um, even if that's not the way of fleshing out the backward causation worry, there's still this worry. Look, uh, it seems like a backward time traveler would be changing the past or at least could change the past. Um, and so usually people respond and David Lewis does this in the classic paper. Um, usually people respond by saying there's a distinction between affecting the past and changing the past. And of course we shouldn't say that the time traveler changes the past. What we should say is they affect the past, but the effects that they have on the past 
we're already part of the past, right? So when the time traveler presses his button that sends his machine back in time, it's already true. It already was the case that his time machine did appear there in the past. Um, it's just that the pressing of the button causes that effect of the machine's appearance in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's that's good. That's helpful. That's like um, Terminator, where, do you, do you know Terminator? Have you seen that one? I've seen the first and the second one. The first one's the important one that I'm thinking about, where... John Connor, as an adult, sends his buddy, which is actually his his father, back in time to I don't know if he actually knew that this guy was gonna like get with his mom. He 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 may not have known that, but he sends him back in time to save his mom from being killed by this Terminator who's been back in time. And then that turns out to be his father. And so he al- he already was his father by that point in time. Right. right. Okay, yep. and that's what you're that's what you're explaining here. That, exactly, and so but, by sending his changed, father but, back, he didn't change anything. Yeah. Oh wait, wait, wait. He affected. Yes. And that was a cause that was already within the the single th- uh, linear time line. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, people debate whether it's possible to change the past, but the reason to think that it's incoherent is when you're imagining time is linear. So. You know, for any time in the past, say 1900, there's only one 1900. There's not a second time around for 1900. Right. So there's no way to make it so that something was the case at 1900 and then wasn't the case at 1900. That mm. would be a kind of contradiction. However, if yeah. you think hypertime is possible as a way of modeling time travel, and you think that the same time could exist at different hypertimes, well, then it seems like there is a way of making sense of changing the past because you can go and do something that's inconsistent with the past from your original hypertime, but you're in a new hypertime. That seems so much like a different world to me. I just don't, I, I need to it read that a book. Different world in at least that sense that okay. like, yeah, you're in a different plane or something. A different okay. plane of existence. Okay. I like that. That, that That's all right. I'll, I need to read that. But um, so I kind of like this language. So like you, you, of course you can't change the past dude, for sure, but you can affect it. And like, if you are going back in time and, and, changing things it's not really a change it's just part of what already happened anyway and so you had to do that but then if you here's where i want to jump in on free will too like you couldn't have not done that then so john connor was not free to not send his buddy back in time because if he could have done that he would not have existed at all yeah that's the grandfather paradox again or at least it's related coming back I shouldn't have put that at the end of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. We're we're building up. Um, yeah, that's a good question to bring up, though. Here, yeah, there is this worry that if, especially if you know his existence depends on his sending his father back, well, like, what would the world have to be like for him not to send his father back? He'd have to not exist, but he does exist. He already so how- exists. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and this this is a causal loop, right? Isn't this isn't this the next paradox? That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that as a causal loop, but yes, this, that is the next paradox. And the, Actually, the... I, I don't think that's original to me. I think I saw this in a video somewhere okay. about, about Terminator. So I don't want to take credit for it. I think yeah. that they said it was a causal loop maybe. Yeah. So I guess the idea is his sending his father back causes his father to go back, which causes him to exist, which causes him to be there at the later time to send his father back. Yeah. That's a causal loop. There are lots of other causes that are, um, influencing the different events at all the times in the loop. So it's not completely closed off from the rest of the sort of causal nexus, but it is a case where um, 
yeah, you have a sequence of causes, like a list, you know, a causal chain where the, the last uh, item in the sequence is the cause of the first. And so really it forms a circle or a loop. But the way they explained it, I think in the video, if I'm getting this right, they made it seem like it just keep going around and around. And yeah, logically, as you're thinking about it, it does. But time just goes right on through and passes right by that. Yeah. Yeah. And it is common for people to think about time travel stories to involve a second time around. And certainly when there's a causal loop, it seems like it can be, you know, infinitely repeating itself. Right. Um, in fact, one uh, of my favorite time travel stories in the Netflix series, Dark, they sometimes make that mistake of talking about, you know, these events happening over and over infinitely because it's a loop. Um, anyway, yeah, so the, the it's not um, an infinite sequence. It is true that it's a circle and circles look infinite, but of course you can draw a circle and you're finite. So it's not infinite in that sense. So yeah. it is the case that um, if you're following the causal chain and you just keep asking, okay, what's this cause? And then you go to that and then you ask, okay, what is this cause? And then you go to that. Like you'll, if you just keep tracing the circle, you'll go around and around and again, over and over. Yeah. But um, yeah. So as long as the sequence is uh, finite and the first is caused by the last, there's no sense in which any of the causes or effects are happening twice over. So it's just once. Um, I don't know if we, if you wrote this, but uh, before we get to the grandfather paradox, a related question is the bootstrapping. I think yeah. uh, of, of causal loops. Like that's another name for the, this kind of set of paradoxes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it would be like, well, who, who initiated or how did it start? How did the loop start? Yeah. So if we go with like John Connor, man, isn't he? Well, okay. So that's, he's like responsible for his own existence, but you don't have a problem with that because you believe in backwards causation. So it's like, it's totally fine. He right. lifted himself up by his bootstraps. In a way, um, he didn't uh, like bring himself into existence ex nihilo. Right. Or like out of nothing. That, right. That's incoherent. Mm-hmm. But what he did something that was the cause of his own existence. And it's very, it looks very similar to, you know, you doing something that will cause someone else to exist in the future. It's just that the thing he caused because of the time travel happened to be in his past and happened to cause himself to exist. So it, it is like a, a an extended pulling oneself up by one's bootstraps. You know, I'm going to keep referencing this book because I love it so much. But uh, in Ryan Wasserman's book, he talks about bootstrap paradox the bootstrap paradox and says yeah it's incoherent for you to li- you know reach down pull yourself up by your bootstraps but you know what you could do to pull yourself up by your bootstraps go back in time go find yourself right go find where you know like you said earlier you, you know time travel back into the other room but yeah. then come into this room and then lift the other iteration of you up by the bootstraps that's there's nothing incoherent there ah and, you're and that's what's yourself. going on in some of these cases yeah, yeah. Okay. I, okay, but maybe it's worth talking about a case where it's more, uh, even more of a sort of closed loop than the yeah, John Connor case. So one of my favorite examples of a causal loop is from one of my favorite TV shows, Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's in season five. Um, Richard Alpert gives John Locke a compass, and he there's there's more to it than this, but to simplify things, he tells Locke to give it back to him the next time that they meet. And what happens? Um, between, before Locke sees Richard again, is Locke goes back in time, and so he gives it to a younger Richard Alpert, 
Uh, Richard Alpert doesn't age somehow in Lost, and so he looks the same, but uh, he is younger when he receives the compass. And so if you're tracing the timeline or the existence of this compass, right, its first moment of existence uh, in external time is the moment when Locke appears in the past with the compass, and then it gets handed over to Richard, and then Richard hands it over to Locke, and then Locke disappears with it. So the, the existence of the compass is a causal loop, or maybe even a closed causal loop. Um, it's very strange. It's strange because it never gets destroyed. Um, it, it never gets created. It just is. Yeah. Like it was never designed or built. No one made it. It huh. just appeared with Locke at the earlier time and disappeared with Locke at the later time. And so, yeah, you can make sense of its existence at each of the points in the loop by looking at some other point in the loop, but there's no explanation for the loop itself yeah. from outside of the loop. Wow, that's, that's so weird. weird. Yeah, a is... lot of people think that's not just weird, that's impossible. That's <laughs> 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 physically impossible. Yeah. But yeah, so that gets into the bootstrapping paradox too. Like, yeah, what, what caused this uh, compass to exist? So that um, might be that might be metaphysically impossible, but logically possible. That's true. I yeah, it doesn't seem like I ex stated any contradictions. Oh, we got it. We found one. Maybe, maybe. that's right. Yeah. Although uh, there's disagreement about whether it's metaphysically possible. So David right. Lewis in his classic paper says, strange, but not impossible. <laughs> and so I guess he would say, you know, it's, it's logically possible and metaphysically possible. If you're... Um, if you're committed to um, PSR, principle of sufficient reason, you'd have to say it is metaphysically impossible, right? Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. That, that's very uh, intuitive of you to notice that. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, man. I like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, because it does look like at least, if, I mean, for the, if you're just looking at the events that make up the loop or the, the object's existence at all the times, the compass's existence, there is an explanation in, you know, in terms of some other part of the loop. Yeah. But if you're asking about the compass or the, the loop, there's no explanation for that, it seems. And so, yeah, if you think that every event or whatever it is that you think is sufficiently explained according to your principle, right? Um, there's something here that's unexplained, the yeah. loop. Or... Yeah, when being a, a theology student, it's just always jammed in my head that like, how does this relate back to God, right? I'm, I'm trying yeah. not to do that a ton because it's so much, it's it's fun to talk about stuff, but I'm thinking even in my head, I got like contingency arguments and stuff like that, right. cosmological arguments, and just thinking like, those guys should be in on this conversation. If they're not, they should be talking about this stuff and, and saying, and kind of helping set the parameters of saying, if you believe PSR, you, you can't believe this and, and kind of giving us some limiting concepts if they're not I, maybe they are i haven't seen yeah. much about that yeah i don't know about this in the in the theological context but there are philosophers you know that care about psr and that okay raise these worries about lo loops so Wasserman has a nice discussion of them in one of his chapters oh but dude, i gotta I, get I, that book yeah should, it's not that expensive especially for an oxford university press book so okay um, I did think it was worth, since you brought up God, it was worth, it's worth reading what Lewis says, because uh, I, I think this is a nice passage from his paper. I, I think I side more with PSR and worry about these loops, but okay. what he says gives you kind of an idea of the alternative. So, um, you know, he tells a story about what he calls an information loop, where it's not an object's existence that's 
caught up in this loop. It's information about how to build a time machine. So the only way that someone knows how to build a time machine is because they time traveled back and told themselves how to make it. Hmm. Um, but so that's a that's another case of a causal loop. It's just with information rather than uh, an object's existence. Yeah. But then he says, well, where did the information come from in the first place? Why did the whole affair happen? There is simply no answer. The parts of the loop are explicable. The whole of it is not. Strange, but not impossible. And not too different from inexplicabilities we are already inured to. Almost everyone agrees that God or the Big Bang or the entire infinite past of the universe or the decay of a tritium atom is uncaused and inexplicable. Then if these are possible, why not also the inexplicable causal loops that arise in time travel? Hmm. So that's like an argument by analogy from if you think anything is uncaused, then you can think this is, you shouldn't have a problem believing this. Yeah. Okay. Now, well, not all theists think that God's existence is inexplicable. Like if God's existence is necessary, perhaps that constitutes an explanation. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to think that I, I've heard people say, cause as a Vantillian, uh, I am, I have to be, set against brute facts it's just part of the deal like you you have to hate brute facts if you're eventually and so some people say god's existence is a brute fact no like no not even god like no he's necessary if you want to say that or he's a say uh and and he doesn't need an explanation but it's not a brute fact and so uh yeah those things do come up in my head uh this whole time so that's been fun trying to not bring those in this is just another example of how time travel sort of intersects with a bunch of other areas in metaphysics and I guess in theology, yeah. a ton in theology, man, and and yeah, we've been trying to limit our conversation here to to not that because freedom foreknowledge, another area that you are a specialist and you love thinking about, um, theophany is another interesting one. Uh, so you know, um, Genesis one says God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, and say, well, no, that's that's just. Uh, Anthropo, anthropocentric or anthropomorphic language. God didn't really do that. God doesn't really have hands. He stretched out against. Well, it sounds like he walked with them. Okay, well, let's go with Nebuchadnezzar in the uh, in the furnace, right? The, uh, they look in, and, and it appears as if one is like a, a son of God in there. And so that that's a straight theophany. He had a, a body of a man. And so some people would say all theophanies are Christophanies. I kind of hold that because the second person, he's the one who came down. So it seems like that's in the economy of the, the divine economy, uh, it seems like the father, the, the son is sent by the father. And so he's the one who comes and he takes on flesh in his different theophanies. So all theophanies are Christophanies. I'm cool with that. But some people go even further and they say all Christophanies are Jesus-ophanies. So not just the second person of the Trinity, but the second person of the Trinity with the hypostatic union, like with two natures, Jesus Christ. So he time traveled. And so maybe when he disappeared, he was actually back in time walking in the cool garden. Someone actually says that. What do? You, yeah, dude, it's super weird. I don't know if that's just well, limited to theology. It's that weird. If you think that theophanies are Christophanies, why not? So, so I brought that up to my uh, theologian friends, and they sort of laughed at me. And yeah, I, I yeah, didn't. Yeah, know gotta laugh at you. No, there's theologies like I. I'm. Um, I'm blanking on whether I've heard someone write about this, or if okay. it's just around the uh, theology student circles. I, I tend to think that someone did write about this because I wrote it great... on Twitter one time, but uh, I don't think that got any traction. Okay. Well, it could be a great, it could be a great story. It's super speculative. So, uh, you know, but it, it, it could be one explanation, especially if you want to tie 
Theophanies to Christophanies, especially if you're like a Bardian and you think, or or actually Oliver Crisp just talked about uh, incarnation anyway. So even if 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 no one sinned, God uh, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, would still have incarnated, and so it could be an explanation for that. But let's get let's get off of that. Let's go back. Oh, man, we're gonna talk about that more some other time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where are we at? We we past causal loops, right? Oh no no no! Well, no, no you no, might no. want to say what if you know if suppose that you do think sort of PSR limits uh, what you can say about like you should say causal loops are impossible. Does that mean you have to say that uh, time travel is impossible or that you know you couldn't have at least backward time travel? Um, I still want to say no. You could still have backward time travel because it, it's it's sort of not a necessary feature of backward time travel that a causal loop would be generated. Right. So, right. I mean, in easy cases, imagine that it's possible to set the coordinates for your destination in your time machine to a very distant place, <laughs> like Jupiter. Maybe that's not going to be a good place to show up. But if you're in the TARDIS, you should be fine. Yeah. Anyway, you 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 show up very far away from your departure point, but only very recently in the past doesn't seem like you're going to be able to have any sort of causal influence on the, you know, the region where you uh, departed from. So that doesn't seem like it's a necessary feature of backward time travel that there would be loops. Yeah. Well, um, you talked about um, information loop. And so that, that helped, that brought up something for me about information traveling back in time. We talked about that a little bit already, but there's this other movie uh, with the dude who plays the Hulk, uh, or Bruce Banner. I forgot his name just now. Well, there's been multiple Hulks. Uh, the, the most recent iteration. Uh, uh, Ruffalo? Mark Ruffalo? Yeah, yeah, Mark Ruffalo. I think he's in this movie, and uh, because of the Northern Lights, he's able to talk on his ham radio with his father back in time. And uh, That's awesome. It's pretty sweet. I actually like the movie, and uh, I almost just blew the rest of it for you, but... <laughs> At one point, he tells his dad, he's testing out whether he's actually talking to his dad or not. And he says, put your wallet in this like crawl space or uh, in, underneath one of these boards. And then he, he says, okay. And then he lifts up the board and it's all dusty. It's this dusty wallet. And that, like, it's not quite time travel, but it, like information has traveled back in time and caused something. It's not a causal loop, I don't think. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like a causal loop to me, but... That's a, yeah. a an instance of like maybe maybe the material can't travel back in time, but information could. Yeah, yeah. That, I don't think that case would be a causal loop, but um, you could have information causal loops like Lewis's or um, yeah. people are familiar with uh, the recent movie Arrival. There's technically not time travel in Arrival. Yeah unless you count the information going back in time as uh, time travel, but there's uh, something only happens uh, because information from the future influences the past. And there, so there's a, there's a loop there. And that is super though. That one is super unsatisfying to me because that kind of loop, it's like the clock. It's like, where did that information ever come from? Because in the future, he told her something that he could only know. And so then she tells that to him, but who initiated this the bootstrapping it so it, it's another one where i i didn't like that answer because it it kind of just like fizzles out into nowhere and it's like no one's really responsible but aren't you glad that it happened for the plot line but it was, yeah. it was good that was a good plot i like the, the language as long as the story tells you at each moment what other moment 
caused the thing in question. Like it's easy to follow what's going on. It's not yeah. totally mysterious, but right. there is this mystery when you start peeling back and, you know, looking at the whole loop. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting too. It's so you could say, well, this is, this whole conversation is just like, you know, how many angels can dance on the pit, of, uh, uh, the head of a pin, but it's so interesting to think, is reality really like that? And if it's not come up with a counter argument, it, besides just saying, I don't believe that could happen. Well, why don't you believe that could happen? And that's what gets me because it's like there's so many things I don't believe could happen, but I have no way of saying why not. So this world is so strange and odd anyways, like some of the stuff could be true. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. The way that Lewis puts that point is like the worlds where time travel happens are very weird, probably very different from our worlds. But just because it's weird or strange doesn't mean impossible. Yeah, I think like the wave function of electrons, like it's weird. There's some weird stuff. I'm made up of all these little subatomic particles and there's neutrinos flying through my body right now. It's the weird world. Uh, let's go. Are we ready for grandfather finally? I think we are. We've all right. Built it up enough. Yeah, the grandfather paradox. We also have a, another little uh, a tenant version of this on YouTube. So go and watch that one too. So the worry, I mean, you've already kind of presented the basic worry, but the worry is um, if time travel were possible, then someone could go back in time and do something that would preclude their own existence. So sometimes it's about killing your grandfather, you know, before he fathered any children. Sometimes it's about killing your infant self, retro-suicide, as it's sometimes called, um, or auto-infanticide. Uh, so what, no matter what version, so there's nothing about grandfathers in particular that is, you know, essential to the paradox, but right, the worry, right. is why I think, you know, so here's a story that David Lewis tells about uh, a boy and his grandfather, Tim detests his grandfather and he wants to kill him, but you know, he's been dead since Tim was much younger, so he can't kill him anymore. So he builds a time machine and he goes back in time. He gets a rifle. He follows his grandfather. His grandfather's young, a vulnerable target. He's got ammunition. He's done target practice. He knows exactly where grandfather's going to be. He aims with his sniper rifle. He's ready to take his shot. And then, well, it seems like he can kill his grandfather and also that he can't kill his grandfather. Um, but those can't both be true. Uh, that would be a contradiction. Mm -hmm. So another way of putting that is, look, Tim's got everything it takes to kill grandfather, you might think, right? He's got the ability to shoot. He's got a vulnerable target. He's, you know, there's no banana peels around that he's going to slip on or anything right. like that. Um, but yet, at the same time, like, imagine what the world would have to be like for him to succeed in killing grandfather. Uh, grandfather would die and then therefore wouldn't have any children. And so let's suppose that it's Tim's paternal grandfather. Tim's father would never exist. Tim's father doesn't exist, then Tim doesn't exist. Tim doesn't exist. He doesn't go back in time with, you know, with a gun and ammunition. And so he couldn't be in this position here and now with the rifle were it not for his failure. And so it seems like, you know, no matter how hard or how many times he tries, he can't, he's not going to succeed in killing grandfather. And that makes it seem like he can't. So that's the puzzle. I mean, some people just leave it at that. It's a kind of paradox because it's hard to, hard to know what to say. He, you both can and can't kill grandfather, but you can regiment that into a challenge to the coherence or possibility of backward time travel by saying, well, look, if backward time travel were possible, then he 
uh, could kill grandfather, but obviously he can't. And so therefore backward time travel is impossible. Yeah. I, I feel the force of that. So before we talked about this before a couple times and I felt like there had to be some kind of metaphysical principle that was stopping the gun or like intervening. There was some kind of like adjustment bureau kind of type thing happening, but all it would really have to happen, have to happen is like, uh, what's the Tim? Yeah. So it'd just be like me telling Tim, like, Hey Tim, man, whatever you do. Okay. You got the sweet time machine. You're going to go try and kill your grandpa. It's not going to happen. Like there's something's going to come up. It doesn't have to be a metaphysical wall that you run into. You're, it's going to jam, whatever, like you're going to get arrested. Something is going to happen to stop you from doing that because you exist now. So it's not, there's not a metaphysical invisible, you know, neon like wall. It's just the circumstances aren't going to let you because you're already here. Right. And that makes more sense to me. I think I just, that just kind of clicked for me. Yeah. There is still this puzzle. Like suppose that Tim does try. Well, obviously he's going to fail. Suppose that he tries again. Well, obviously he's going to fail. And like the more he repeats that, the more sort of coincidental his failure is going to seem, especially uh, his repeated failure. So you might think, well, that shows that at the very least, this kind of time travel story is vastly improbable. It's just too, too long a string of coincidences. If he has 600 tries and none of them are successful, it's starting to look a little bit more like Providence than... Like the gun jams the first time he fixes that. Then he slips on a banana peel. You know, then he shoots the wrong target by mistake. You know, all this these things. This is a good story, though. This this could be a good story. We'd know yeah. the ending, I guess. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Sweet. So um, it's a it's a puzzle. I mean, there really are two arguments here. One is a bit against the possibility of time travel, and this other thing we've just been talking about about these coincidences or what's stopping him from killing his grandfather this is more about time travels probability or these strings of coincidences it's slightly um different puzzle and and as you said earlier uh endgame gets this wrong because i'm so bad with names gamora no uh your sister nebula nebula yeah yeah nebula kills herself right and and so it's just not working if it was a branch universe there's no problem with me killing baby parker because it's not even really, it's baby Parker uh, zero and I'm baby Parker one. Like it's a different person. It's just like me killing any other baby, which is horrible to talk about, but we're talking about it, but <laughs> it, it's not actually me. So there's no problem. Fut- Parker, my age never exists because I killed him earlier, but he's not me. Right. Just me in a different universe. So it's different. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems if you want to, if you want to interpret Endgame as a single timeline, then we have to interpret, um, yeah, later Nebula as having already lived through all of the other moments, including the moment where she's shot and killed. Yeah. But there's no resurrection story there either. So no. it's experience. And and okay, this brings up a really interesting point that always messes with my conception of every time travel thing is there would be no surprise for future Gamora. Nebula. Sorry, future Nebula. Uh, she would already have that memory, right? Wouldn't the memories come through? That's the thing that never they never talk about. Like you would have the memories because you're a future. If you're any time older than the other you, you'd have that memory. Unless you have a story about you losing your memory, but they don't. So yes, wouldn't that It's kind of take that into account and make it so that yeah, you, you're forgetting things or 
Yeah. This is just a worry about how you tell the story. But of course, you can tell a coherent story where the memories are wiped or something like that. Well, I guess it, it, it does go back to changing the past versus affecting the past. So would you say you can't change the past? you agree with Lewis there? I do, yeah. Okay. So then that, that conception would only be possible if you could change the past of Nebula killing herself and not having the memory of it or whatever. Um, right, yeah. It would, she'd have to be able to change the past and you can't change the past. You can affect it, which is still cool. If you're still, it's still really an important thing. You, you wouldn't know about it until you went back. Oh, it looks like I did change, change or affect the past, but that's an important thing to, to all you sci-fi writers out there. Take notes because <laughs> we're sick of it. Yeah. Tell, tell a single timeline story, but don't run into these <laughs> mistakes. Yeah. You know, one of the best ones, uh, one of my favorites anyway, is from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And I hesitate to bring it up because I know that you weren't allowed to read Harry Potter. As I a can kid. now. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the same for me, honestly. Uh, so yeah. I read it as an adult. But anyway, um, it turns out in, you know, towards the end of the third book, Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry saves himself from the Dementors. Yeah. And so as he's being saved, he thinks, who's that person across the lake saving me? He thinks it's his father or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, it turns out, you know, as he, once he's saved and he, you know, keeps on living, uh, it turns out he goes back in time thanks to Hermione's time Turner. And he goes and then he's across the lake and he's getting ready to, you know, well, he thinks that, well, maybe my father's going to show up and uh, save that earlier iteration of myself. But then he realized, Oh wait, it was me all along that mm -hmm. saved myself. And so he saves himself. Um, so I there's like some too. bootstrapping there too, but there's no changing the past. There's bootstrapping. There's no change in the past, but there's also no, there's no pap there. Like he can't not do that. It already happened. This gets us into responses to the grandfather paradox because yeah, just like we, it seems like Tim can't kill his grandfather. It also seems like older Harry can't, not save his younger self otherwise right. he wouldn't be there right um you know there's another time travel movie looper that a lot of people like but that actually botches all this stuff um so i've anyway, never seen it because i heard a bunch of bad reviews originally and then it seems like it's turned into like a cult classic where everyone like there's a whole fan fandom around yeah. it so I, I still need to watch it because i only heard good things about it before oh, okay I saw okay but did yeah you, it, did you like is it worth watching you know, parts of it are fun. I like Ryan Johnson as a writer, director, but as a time travel story, it's a mess. Okay. But it's worth watching, yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, so what? how should we think of the freedom of time travelers or their abilities? Can Tim kill grandfather or not? Um, the, the two main views are um, he can and he can't. <laughs> That's kind of unsurprising, but yeah. people take sides, right? They um, Lewis says... Uh, Tim can kill grandfather. He won't. He's he's going to fail. But of course, you know, for everything that uh, I'm going to do in the future, it's true that I won't fail to do that thing. Or for everything that I won't do in the future, it's true that I, um, you know, that I'll fail. <laughs> it's true, true that I won't do the thing. Um, but it doesn't follow from the fact that Tim won't kill his grandfather that he can't kill Yeah, there's a conditional, conditional possibility, right? There is that. I, I think we can kind of avoid that, though, because for Lewis, when it comes to can claims or able claims, what matters is what facts we're holding fixed. So he's building on the work of a, 
linguist, philosopher of language, Angelica Kratzer, who okay. gives a kind of semantics for um, the word can and the word must. And on her view, the right way to think of a can claim is like this. Can means uh, someone can do something just in case uh, the person's doing that thing is possible in view of the relevant facts. And so now the question is, well, what facts are relevant? What facts do we hold fixed in assessing whether an agent can or can't do something? Yeah. Um, in some contexts, the, the very same action will count as something the agent can do. And then in other contexts, it'll be something they can't do. So to give one example that Lewis gives in his paper, um, if, you, if the context of asking whether I can speak Finnish is a context where we're contrasting me with an ape, there's a sense in which I can mm. speak Finnish and yet the ape can't yeah. because of our biological makeup, perhaps. Um, but it turns out, even though in that context, I can speak Finnish, um, don't take me to Helsinki because I'm not going to be of any help to you. I, I can't speak Finnish. I don't yeah. understand the language. So there's another sense in which I can't. And all that matters is what facts we're holding fixed. Is it facts about my biology, right, in contrast to the apes? Or is it facts about my, like, my knowledge of a language and, you know, my know-how um, and there, holding those different facts fixed, we get a different answer about what's possible for me. And there's no, there's no absolute fixed facts. It's like, it's all, it's, it's relative to the question you're asking. That's right. That's, that reminds me of like PBI's uh, Peter Van Wagen's like uh, absolute counting argument against absolute counting when it comes to the Trinity, where you're like, he's like, yeah, there's, there's three and there's one, but you're, you think it's illogical because you have this view of like absolute counting that, but, but actually it's relative counting. It depends on what you're talking about. Um, that's just how I'm, I'm conceptualizing it. It's not helpful yeah. for yeah. now, but no, it's a parallel kind of relativizing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so back to Lewis then. So Lewis is saying that's the way we should go about this. Right. And so that, the, what he wants to say is in the ordinary sense of can, Right. The can the, the context yeah. in which we normally assess can claims, Tim can kill grandfather. The only way of kind of getting the conclusion that he can't kill grandfather is by presupposing, um, by holding fixed this fact about the future that he will fail or that he won't kill grandfather. Right. But he thinks that is smuggling in uh, facts about the future that shouldn't be smuggled in um, when we're assessing this can claim. So now yeah. that's his view, but of course. Well, um, then what, what's his final answer then? I guess because if he says we can't smuggle those in, right? What does right. He it say? would be like uh, you know fatalism, like fa he calls it fatalist trickery to smuggle in facts about the future and hold them fixed in assessing what I can do now. So yeah, it's you know it was true, uh, you know a little over an hour and a half ago that we'd be getting to the grandfather paradox late in the show, but of course the fact that it was true then didn't constrain our freedom in any way. No yeah. one really thinks the fatalist argument works. And so um, Lewis thinks the same is true in the grandfather case, that the only way to, to get the conclusion that Tim can't kill grandfather is by smuggling in facts about the future um, and sort of masquerading them as if they're facts about the past or about the present. Was, was Lewis an uh, indeterminist? Do you know? Um, I mean, since he's writing uh, at the it's point kind of an that, anachronistic to yeah, later in the 20th, since um, 
at least like halfway through the 20th century, almost no one takes a stand on whether determinism is true or false nowadays. You, people used to think that like, I don't know if we are Newtonians about physics, we should be determinists. But nowadays, there's multiple interpretations of quantum mechanics. Who knows? I think right. more people are indeterminists if they have a view. Um, but he was a compatibilist. So he thought even if determinism was true, we'd still have free will. And he thinks the freedom to do otherwise than what we actually do. Yeah, the leeway guy, right? Okay. Leeway compatibilist. So yeah. that would, because for me, I'm like, I don't really mind because I'm a determinist. So like, and I'm a theological determinist. So I don't, yeah. I don't really mind the future fact. Well, but, but I do have a weird particular view of time. Okay. So yeah, that's weird. It's all weird, man. Um, but you, I, I cut you off though. You were going somewhere else. Do you remember where you're well, going? I'm just going to say what the other view is. Okay. Um, so I disagree with Lewis on this. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot going for the, the Kratzer semantics for can, but <laughs> if Tim will fail, no matter how many times or how hard he tries, sure seems like he can't kill grandfather. Yeah. And so here I'm, I'm kind of building on, um, a response to Lewis by Kadri Vivalin, who's a philosopher at USC. And she has a, I guess it's relatively classic uh, paper now from the late nineties called what time travelers cannot do. Mm. And so she argues, even though she agrees with Lewis pretty broadly, I think she would think of herself as a leeway compatibilist. She Mm. says, if if you can't do something like if you will fail to do something, no matter how many times or how hard you try, (laughs) then you can't do it. That's just like a, it's a necessary condition on you being able to do something that at least some of the time that you try it, especially if you're trying really hard, you will succeed. Yeah. So it's a, it's necessary that you fail. Right? Uh, it's necessary. A contingent, contingently. Yeah, yeah, it's like contingently necessary or something. I don't know about that. But it, it, I mean, it does seem like it's necessary that you fail because... Um, like a a precondition for your succeeding is that you don't exist in the first place, but you do exist. So holding that fixed, it's necessary. I think that's related to what some people call accidental necessity. It's not like necessity, simpliciter, full stop, just giving other things that we do hold fixed in assessing what you can do. It does seem like it's necessary. And given, given that he exists contingently, it's it's like necessary that he can't cause his ooh, cause his he can cause his non-existence if you think you don't have a soul and he shoots himself or something like that he can do that but he can't go back and and get rid of his existence now right like what would the world have to be like for tim to succeed in shooting his grandfather like he'd shoot him his grandfather would die and so yeah tim's father would never be Tim would never be born. He wouldn't time travel back. So what would happen to Tim? He would just like shoot grandfather and then fade out of existence. I yeah, mean, that's some, what uh, science fiction. That's right. Uh, not trying to spoil anything. I won't name too many movies, but you know, this happens in back to the future or something similar, right? right. Eating, uh, that's incoherent. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so anyway, it does seem like if there's no, like if you, you can't imagine this continuation of the world where he succeeds, it seems like it's impossible for yeah. him. Yeah. Okay. So one, one way of putting one way of um, t- 
taking that line saying that Tim can't kill grandfather is the, the Vivalin approach, which says there's something pre- peculiar about Tim's scenario. The fact that this act would be self-defeating, he would preclude his own existence. That's what rules out his being able to do the thing in question. Yeah. Some people, and I think I'm more in this camp, think backward time travelers are just not free to do otherwise than what they do in general, even if the action um, in question wouldn't be self-defeating. So one reason for thinking this is, look, if when I get in my time machine and I press the button to go back into the past, if it's already, if the past is fixed at that point, like it's settled what happened in the past, well, then it seems like if I then go on a journey into the past, all of the actions I perform were in some sense already part of the past when I press yeah. the button. And so it seems like I can't really deviate from from that set of events or that s- sequence of actions. So there's some reasoning for, you know, some way of reasoning to the conclusion that if you're going back in time, you're just not going to be free to do otherwise than what you actually do. So if you if you believe in time travel, if you believe that that you can go back and affect the past, at least, you ought to be at least a compatibilist or some sort of, you should hold to some sort of determinism, whether you think that's compatible with free will or compatible with moral responsibility. So if you believe in free, if you believe in time travel, you should be a determinist of some stripe. Uh, Not sure. I think that's a, a kind of overlap between these two areas of metaphysics that's uh, where there's a lot of exploring yet to be done. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm planting the flag, man. Come on. We're trying, I'm trying to win people over here. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I agree. I mean, definitely. I think there's, if there's backward time travel in these interesting ways, like in these stories, I think actually the universe would have to be indeterministic in certain ways. Um, especially if you've got these inexplicable causal loops, if those are possible, right. Then it looks like they couldn't be determined um, by earlier events and the laws of nature. Oh, so, so uh, yeah, this is a problem that I was getting to maybe like theologically determined or something like that. So like you determined by your desires, uh, I guess, because what would it look like using, I I like that phrase. That's a good one. Uh, What would it look like for, for someone who affected the past already, John Connor sent this dude back, but then he gets, it gets back to not back, but it gets to the point in time where John Connor exists. And now he's a man and he met this guy and they're friends. I wish I knew his name right now. Uh, and so he, instead of sending him back, he goes, you know what, man, I need you here. I'm not going to send you back, you know, just screw it. Then like, does he pop out of existence then? And then he never existed. And the guy looks over and is like, was I talking to someone? It wasn't John Connor. Cause I don't know that name. Cause I never met a John Connor. You know what I mean? So he didn't have the ability to not do that because of his own existence. So he is determined to do it. Right. Um, yeah. It, it, in some sense of determined, it does look like he's, you know, he, maybe it's not determined, but it seems like he lacks the freedom to do otherwise in yeah. some sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's something that you always hit me with. It's so, it's so good. Yeah. So we could just go against Pap. Yeah. That's, that's really, you have yeah. to get clear. This is part of what, I mean, I've always liked time travel stories and uh, I love movies and especially um, science fiction and time travel movies. But um, one thing that's gotten me interested in the ph- philosophical literature on time travel, apart from my you know interest in the science fiction, is I think there's a lot of exploring to be done between this the whole debate about free will 
uh, moral responsibility on the one hand and then time travel on the other. There's a few recent papers that are kind of exploring connections here. So you mentioned uh, PAP, Principle of Alternative Possibilities, and we talked about Frankfurt style cases when we talked before. Yeah. there is like a time travel version of a Frankfurt style case where someone goes back in time, seems like they can't do otherwise because of the time travel story that's told. And yet they seem morally responsible for what they do. So here we have mm. another counter example to PAP. So I, I think this is where, you know, fun kind of intersections of topics to explore. I think it, I think you're right. And I love that you're working on it. Would you ever consider like writing a, 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 philosophical paper in like a journal on time travel and stuff yeah um do that some forthcoming i mean uh yeah we'll see that'd be awesome well because again it's 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 really a fun topic but this is the kind of stuff that people are asking about and since i'm a theology student i always bring everything back to god and it's not like a moral thing i'm not like a good dude for doing that it's just that's what's on my mind and so everything always comes back to god for me and it should for everyone it does for you too i know that but um like this all comes back to our view on God and uh, salvation and predestination. And could we have done otherwise? Are we morally responsible for our actions? Is God like outside of time and planning to interact in time? Does he actually hear our prayers? Uh, you know, and, and is God time traveling? Is he out- So it's, it's, uh, it's all connected and it's awesome. So you can start with, with a conversation with your buddy about Endgame and get into of deep, you know, theology proper, talking about the nature and actions of God, which I think is so fantastic. Yeah, totally agree. So, so dude, we've gone so long. This has been so great. Thanks. Thanks for so much of your time. I don't care. I could go forever, but um, I wanted to just, just drop one more question on you as we close. Like, do you believe time travel is possible? Yes. I've not been convinced by any argument for the metaphysical impossibility of time travel. So I, I remain convinced that it's possible. Okay. And do you think it is technologic? It, it will ever be technologically possible? Hard to say. Uh, I guess I wouldn't be the one to ask about that because I just don't have the relevant background. But, yeah. you know, given that I think it's physically possible as well as metaphysically possible, I don't see any reason to think could never happen, especially if we ever found a way to travel quickly through space and could find, you know, go through a wormhole or something. Interstellar. Yeah. 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 So you guys heard it here first. Dr. Taylor Sear said that we're going to travel through time. All you future generations looking at this or future, if we're in a computer simulation, uh, he did it. So you can end the simulation. Now we finally got there. Uh, Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. I, like we talked about earlier, if you, you do travel through, mm, you, if you have two clocks, right, and you send them off, and one doesn't move, and one does move, like the time is different. So there's something there too. Um, but I'm, I'm, uh, I had a recent conversation with the theoretical physicist on black holes and stuff like that, and I think we're going to talk about time travel kind of stuff from a uh, physics perspective. But I wanted to have the, I wanted to have you on first so I could have all the conceptual stuff in my yeah. back pocket just to kind of, oh, but have you thought about this though? Yeah. And Oh, I will. I'm excited for that. I would listen to that. You should also check out what Ryan Wasserman says about physics and time travel. He talks about relativity in a way that, uh, for me, with no background in physics, was a little over my head. But yeah, you could get some questions from there. Yeah, dude, that's great. That's a great tip. Uh, one more time, where where can they find that uh, article that you wrote? 
Oh, so my short piece, it's, it's literally 1000 words. So you can mm -hmm. read it in a few minutes. It's on the website, 1000wordphilosophy.com. Um, you just Google that and time travel and you'll find it. Um, and then, yeah, so I, we also referenced uh, a book by Was David Wa uh, Ryan Wasserman called uh, Paradoxes of Time Travel, and then a very similar sounding title by David Lewis, his classic paper, The Paradoxes of Time Travel. Yeah, awesome. And then um, you have just, I think you just wrapped up or you are wrapping up your first season of The Free Will Show. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So we have, um, I don't know when this will drop, but the Q&A episode, the final episode of our uh, first season is going to air really soon. And uh, our second season is going to be on um, positions in the debate about causal determinism and free will. So mm -hmm. we're going to be interviewing people with different positions, including Kadri uh, Vibel. And that'll be a little uh, spoiler for people that listen to your podcast. Nice, nice. Awesome. Well, uh, go and, and listen to the episodes. They're super informative, really, really helpful stuff. Um, we can talk about this more. Uh, Taylor Sear, man, please come back. Please keep coming back. This has been so much fun, uh, but that's going to have to do it for us for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.